Bible, a collection of 66 different books by around 40 different authors from many different backgrounds. There were kings and shepherds, soldiers, fishermen, doctors, poets and farmers. Some were young, some old, some rich, and some poor. And they wrote, each reflecting his own personality and style. From a wide variety of life circumstances. All the way from palace thrones and bedrooms. To the dungeons down in the palace basement. From seashores to mountaintops. And to the backsides of dry desert wastelands. In their books, the writers issued hundreds of specific future prophecies, all perfectly fulfilled or awaiting fulfillment. And they discuss every aspect of human life, hundreds of complicated and controversial topics. And yet, there is a unity and consistency of message in the Bible, from start to finish, that is nothing short of miraculous. Throughout history and today, millions of people around the globe call this book the Holy Bible, the very Word of God. It claims to be a self-revelation of the Supreme Being, the Creator Himself, stepping out of eternity into time and space to tell us and show us what He is like and to let us know His plan for our lives here on earth and in the hereafter. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar is your chance to actually hear, discuss, and decide for yourself about this book, The Bible. Stay tuned, and at the very least, you'll hear the beauty, wisdom, romance, adventure, and intrigue of the world's greatest literature, the best-selling, most translated book of all history. But more importantly, God himself just might speak to your heart and change your life forever. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Sophie Dollar. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. Good to visit with you this evening. Glad you're aboard with us for the Bible Live. I'm just getting ready to read tonight from the book of Acts. Yes, indeed, we're going to leave behind now for our season the Old Testament and the adventure of the people of Israel in the time of the kings, Saul and David and Solomon, and then the kingdom is split. and We go to this long series of kings in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. We've been reading about that in the books of First and Second Kings. We're going to fast speed ahead. Messiah has already come now. God has preserved them. They've been restored to the land. Some hundreds of years have passed. And then Messiah, the one who has been promised, predicted all this time, he has come, he's carried out his life and his ministry. The church age has now begun. We're going to pick up in the book of Acts tonight. But first, for our wisdom and worship segment, we also leap forward to Proverbs chapter 12. We're going to talk about loving discipline. We're going to talk about finances, all kinds of wisdom. Proverbs 12, 1 through 14. To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. The Lord approves of those who are good, but He condemns those who plan wickedness. Wickedness never brings stability. Only the godly have deep roots. A worthy wife is her husband's joy and crown. A shameful wife saps his strength. The plans of the godly are just. The advice of the wicked is treacherous. The words of the wicked are like a murderous ambush, but the words of the godly save lives. The wicked perish and are gone, but the children of the godly stand firm. Everyone admires a person with good sense, but a warped mind is despised. It is better to be a nobody with a servant than to be self-important but have no food. The godly are concerned for the welfare of their animals, but even the kindness of the wicked is cruel. Hard work means prosperity. Only fools idle away their time. 
thieves are jealous of each other's loot, while the godly bear their own fruit. The wicked are trapped by their own words, but the godly escape such trouble. People can get many good things by the words they say. The work of their hands also gives them many benefits. End of reading Proverbs 12, 1 through 14. Is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar? All right, the cornerstone. Messiah has come. God became flesh. He lived and walked among us. He carried out his role of Messiah to become our mediator, our substitute, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As a man, he walked out a perfect life of faith and trust and obedience, submission to the Father. What a wonderful Savior. What an amazing thing he accomplished. And he did it all for our benefit. Then he said, I have to go away because the Father's going to send the Holy Spirit. A whole new age, a whole new era is coming. That's what happened 2,000 years ago. There was a flicker of a match, a spark leaped from the match to the tinder, and a flame soon built up that became a fire that raced across the pagan world, raced across the Roman Empire. And at first, just a few in that corner of the world were touched and warmed. But the fire spread beyond Jerusalem, out to Judea, out to the world, to all people groups. And people were ready. People were hungry. For God, people were thirsty for spiritual reality, spiritual truth that fed their souls. That's the setting of the book of Acts. It's written somewhere between A.D. 63 and 70 by a Gentile, a doctor, in fact, a physician named Luke. Very educated man. You can tell by the original language of Greek and also even as it's passed to us, the logic, the clarity, the attention to detail makes Luke a first-class historian. The key verse is you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is the outline of the book. Acts 1-1 through 4-4. Acts 1. Dear Theophilus, in my first book, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he ascended to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions from the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. On these occasions, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. In one of these meetings, as he was eating a meal with them, he told them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you what he promised. Remember, I have told you about this before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, are you going to free Israel now and restore our kingdom? The Father sets those dates, he replied, and they are not for you to know. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It was not long after he said this that he was taken up into the sky while they were watching, and he disappeared into a cloud. As they were straining their eyes to see him, 
two white-robed men suddenly stood there among them. They said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring at the sky? Jesus has been taken away from you into heaven, and some day, just as you saw him go, he will return. The apostles were at the Mount of Olives when this happened, so they walked the half-mile back to Jerusalem. Then they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here is the list of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They all met together continually for prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, on a day when about 120 believers were present, Peter stood up and addressed them as follows. Brothers, it was necessary for the scriptures to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided the temple police to arrest Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us, chosen to share in the ministry with us. Judas bought a field with the money he received for his treachery, and falling there, he burst open, spilling out his intestines. The news of his death spread rapidly among all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Akeldama, which means field of blood. Peter continued, This was predicted in the book of Psalms, where it says, Let his home become desolate, with no one living in it. And again, let his position be given to someone else. So now we must choose another man to take Judas's place. It must be someone who has been with us all the time that we were with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us into heaven. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed for the right man to be chosen. O Lord, they said, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas the traitor in this ministry. For he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots. And in this way, Matthias was chosen and became an apostle with the other eleven. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost. Seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection, the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm in the skies above them, and it filled the house where they were meeting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Godly Jews from many nations were living in Jerusalem at that time. When they heard this sound, they came running to see what it was all about, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were beside themselves with wonder. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking the languages of the lands where we were born. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya toward Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabians, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd were mocking. They're drunk, that's all, they said. Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. 
Make no mistake about this. Some of you are saying these people are drunk. It isn't true. It's much too early for that. People don't get drunk by 9 o'clock in the morning. No, what you see this morning was predicted centuries ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen! God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing wonderful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But you followed God's prearranged plan. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and murdered him. However, God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life again, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is filled with joy and my mouth shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will give me wonderful joy in your presence. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Dear brothers, think about this. David wasn't referring to himself when he spoke these words I have quoted, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on David's throne as the Messiah. David was looking into the future and predicting the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that the Messiah would not be left among the dead and that his body would not rot in the grave. This prophecy was speaking of Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, and we all are witnesses of this. Now he sits on the throne of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in honor at my right hand, until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let it be clearly known by everyone in Israel that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words convicted them deeply, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must turn from your sins and turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children, and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, Save yourselves from this generation that has gone astray. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church, about 3,000 in all. They joined with the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, sharing in the Lord's Supper and in prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. 
And all the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had. They sold their possessions and shared the proceeds with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Acts 3. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting a gift. But Peter said, I don't have any money for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankle bones were healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then, walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out to Solomon's colonnade, where he was holding tightly to Peter and John. Everyone stood there in awe of the wonderful thing that had happened. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so astounding about this? And why look at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power and godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of all our ancestors who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him to life, and we are witnesses of this fact. The name of Jesus has healed this man, and you know how lame he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has caused this healing before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what you did to Jesus was done in ignorance, and the same can be said of your leaders. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had declared about the Messiah beforehand, that he must suffer all these things. Now turn from your sins and turn to God, so you can be cleansed of your sins. Then wonderful times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will send Jesus your Messiah to you again. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his prophets. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. Then Moses said, Anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be cut off from God's people and utterly destroyed. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of those prophets, and you are included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, Through your descendants all the families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you people of Israel, to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. Acts 4 
While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the leading priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees came over to them. They were very disturbed that Peter and John were claiming on the authority of Jesus that there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, jailed them until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so that the number of believers totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. End of reading, Acts 1-1 through 4-4. Got the time, and I'm waiting, it's slow. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. What a moment. What a tremendous moment. After the Messiah has finished his work, he has gloriously resurrected from the grave. He has revealed himself to his followers. He says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that is going to be a central theme of the book of Acts. Nothing has changed essentially in terms of the way in which men and women experience God. God is gracious and good and holy and righteous, and he has made a provision for our sin. And we still receive that provision. We still receive that salvation that God has for us by faith. Faith is still the coin of the realm of the kingdom of God. But now our faith has a more defined, clear object. It's not the Messiah who is going to come someday as much as they knew about him. But now it is the Messiah who has come who has fulfilled over 300 descriptive prophecies in the Old Testament about this one who would be the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior. Now he has come, we have identified him, he has carried out his work, and he has brought us now to that place of a more certain relationship with God. Yes, still faith, but the object of our faith is clearer, more certain, more solid for us to see and understand. Now that the Messiah has done his work, the Holy Spirit of God has come to begin a new era, a new time of God's dealings. This still is related to what Jesus accomplished. He came as a man. He voluntarily left off his godly prerogatives and initiatives and authority. He did not cease being God, not once, not ever, but he voluntarily left off his divine prerogative, initiative, authority that he could exercise independently anytime he wanted as God. He voluntarily left that aside and humbled himself to come under the yoke of submission and total absolute dependence upon God as a man, as we must live. We can never, of our own ability and capability, not philosophically, not spiritually, not physically, not in any sense, can we discover God ourselves. We don't even seek God ourselves. The Spirit of God woos us and draws our attention, and God has done that through nature, through the sun, the moon, the stars, the season. He calls out to us. We would not even seek him on our own, except for God revealing himself, putting that divine curiosity in us to seek him, that God-shaped vacuum in every heart that can only be filled by the Creator himself, made known through Jesus the Messiah, the Redeemer. So the Redeemer has gone, but now the Spirit of God has come. Now, one thing that struck me is, this is Peter. Remember the last time we saw Peter? He was crying in shame and embarrassment because he had denied the Redeemer. Peter was struggling and filled with remorse, but here he steps forward courageously right there in the heart of Jerusalem. Look here, everybody. Let me tell you about this Jesus. We're not drunk, as you think. He gives them this beautiful, powerful sermon. He recites 
large portions of Scripture from the book of Joel, chapter 2, the book of Numbers, chapter 11, from Psalm 16, and on we could go. Psalm 110, Peter steps out valiantly. What changed Peter from the cowering uh, sort of foot-and-mouth disease person that we knew about before into this courageous, articulate, powerful man of God? It was the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in and on his life. The Spirit of God now has come upon him. Let me explain that because we're going to be talking about it throughout the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is God. He is a person, intellect, emotion, and will. He's not a green vapor or sort of a divine influence that fills the room. He's not the force, the force be with you of Star Wars, not some impersonal force for good. The Holy Spirit is a person, just as the Father is a person, the Son uh, Jesus the Messiah is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's a little unusual name, and that maybe puts a lot of people off. But it's there to emphasize that he is spirit. He's not bound up in a body. Uh, he's not limited as Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah. He had to do that to carry out his role. But the Holy Spirit has no such limitation. He's everywhere present at all times. So he's always been in the world in every place present. The idea of the coming of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit came to planet Earth for the first time. Remember, even in the book of Genesis, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Earth fell into chaos, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Spirit of God is here everywhere present at all times. He's always been here in terms of locale, being here. But now he has come in a new task, a new way, a new ministry. Those of us who come to God now through faith in Jesus the Messiah, the Spirit of God now comes to dwell with us and upon us to escort us to glory. It's his permanent indwelling. The word indwelling has its root in the word tabernacling with us, like the Old Testament tabernacle that was there in the midst of the people of God, guiding them, protecting them, providing for them. That is what the Holy Spirit does. He is our divine escort. Each one of us individually is indwelt now permanently by God's Holy Spirit. He has called us. He's been the agent of the new birth. Now he's here to escort us, to sanctify and make our lives holy, and to empower our lives for his service for effective witness. What a wonderful time and era this is, the time of the Holy Spirit. One little word about baptism as well. We'll be talking throughout the book of Acts about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in the infant nascent church. When you see the word baptism, do not automatically think water. Baptism is a term that comes out of the textile industry of that era when a fabric, piece of cloth, was dipped in dye, immersed in the dye, and the fabric and the dye are merged. They're made one. They are co-identified. That is the spiritual process of baptism. Now, sometimes in the New Testament, reference is made to the religious ritual, the symbolic object lesson of water baptism. But most of the time... It is talking about the dynamic spiritual baptism when we are merged into Christ by His Spirit and by Christ baptizing us, identifying us with His Holy Spirit. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget... 
Join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 